everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode 109. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this uh, early Saturday morning when we're recording. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, folks. We are starting off this sober January for some with coffee. Not sober January for us, but we thought we'd probably do a sober episode today because one, it is before 10 o'clock in the morning, and two, we got some good coffee creamer that we're trying out. We do. So welcome to the Malthouse Games podcast. We're a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, dice games, all the kinds of things like that. And generally, we also talk about beer, but every once in a while, we will do either a different kind of drink or we will do a sober episode. And we figured 2022, it is the beginning of New Year's resolutions for people. So this is going to be the first sober episode in solidarity with those who want to drink less. Clink, clink. Clink, clink. And also to showcase uh, all these pumpkin spice creamers really good. <laughs> it's ridiculously good. Like I got it. I bought it just on a whim. And uh, I took out the container today, opened it up, shook it up. And I was like, I'm going to taste this a little bit. Oh, my God. It tastes like melted ice cream. It is delicious. And it makes your coffee fantastic. I'm not really a creamer person. Same. I like my coffee as black as my soul. But this morning was a nice little treat. Woke me up inside. Filled me with joy and pride. I am ready to start the day with my coffee in hand and my sweetie by my side. Now, be aware, this is the almond milk creamer because we're vegan. Yes. That's st- That's still a thing going... Uh, was that 2017? Yes. So four years? Yes. We're in the fourth year of being vegan and also in the fourth year of the podcast now. We've successfully fulfilled years one, two, three, four. So, or one, two, three. However that works. We started uh, podcast launch 2018, January. So this is officially... Four years ago. It's four years ago. So this is officially the fourth year we've been doing it, which is crazy. So here we go. We're here. We've done it. Uh, yeah, this is the first episode back from Christmas and New Year's, and it feels like it. Yes, we spent New Year's, so we got our COVID test to make sure we were COVID negative, and we went to our friend Zach and Sarah's house, uh, and they're with their little baby Avery cakes, and we just hung out New Year's Eve, uh, chatted the next day, New Year's Day, we ate some black-eyed peas, played some board games, and stayed up way too late. I think we stayed up past midnight for like three nights in a row. Aside from me falling asleep at like 12.15, New Year's Eve, we were up till like one thirty. The next night, we were up till like 2, and the next night again was like 1 o'clock. So work this week was a struggle all week. It surely was, and I struggled getting out of bed, but it was also a pretty fun week, too. We had a, a lot of creative endeavors. We had a lot of adventures. Delty, what did you do since we last spoke? Uh, the biggest thing I've done... Uh, I'm trying to think of all the things I've done aside from Mario Kart is I went and got my ears pierced. Uh, I've always wanted to do uh, stretched earlobes. So what a lot of what we always grew up calling gauges. And I can't do that at work. Womp womp. However, they have changed in 2020. They changed the personnel manual to allow earrings on men as well. So I went and got my ears pierced and got some... Uh, earrings that look kind of like plugs that you would use in a stretched ear. So they're small, but I like them a lot. They're something I've always wanted to do, and I finally professionally can without repercussion because <laughs> they can't point out, hey, we're not allowed to have that. Yes, we are. It's okay. Everything's fine. But also, nobody's freaking noticed. 
out of all the people I've been around, like two of my friends have been like, oh, hey, you did something. But I think it's because it fits you so well. They don't look like they stick out. It feels like you've always had them. Because uh, whenever he came home, uh, it was last Tuesday. Like I looked at him like, oh, those look really good. But then like the rest of the night, it, they, I, I didn't notice them. I didn't notice them yeah. still unless he points them out. Then I really don't notice them. It's not a bad thing. I just think it fits him so well. And I'm fine with that. But that's been my big big endeavor, my new year, new me, 2022. And uh, I, ha- I have determined that for my mental health, I, I, my, ba- my perfect balance is a ratio of 12 therapy sessions, eight haircuts, and one tattoo appointment. So that's my goal for this year for my mental health maintenance. Just to get all that done? To get all that done. I need to sign up for another tattoo because I've got ideas and I just need to get it on the books, like you said. That way it'll force me to truly settle my idea down. And then go for it. I think the only other real things we have going on is uh, this afternoon we're going to Brian's house for his 40th birthday party, which is basically going to be us, him and his wife, and a select other friends uh, just getting together, having some drinks, and playing board games all day. So that's going to be a really good time. Yes, we're very excited for that. And otherwise, it's just it's been really nice to not have a lot going on. It like, has. I feel like I felt bad this morning because I was like, we don't really have any crazy stories to tell aside from Delton getting his ears pierced and going to see Zach and Sarah. But I mean, lately since the holidays, we've just been hanging out at home, doing some watercolor, playing some Mario Kart. And that's been really nice. It's been really, really nice. Just having some relaxation because the holidays, boy, when Christmas time came around, it was just stressful. It was bouncing around here, bouncing around there, going here, going here, trying to please everyone, make sure everyone's happy. And it was just like, oh, goodness gracious, it was it was hard because I loved seeing family and it was great to get together. And after it's all over, you're like, we had a great time. I'm glad but I did this. The, the stress that comes with the anticipation of, is this going to be a good visit? Are there going to be issues? Is always something with any family event ever. So I'm glad that everything went really well. We had a great time doing all of our Christmas and holiday stuff. And I think after that, we just needed like some rest because people were not around people as often. So, you know. We come back, holidays were good, New Year's starting off good, starting off a little slow, which is great for us, and I think we're just kind of getting back into uh, the swing of a normal season. I'm so excited for 2022. I actually bought a planner again this year, and just so you know, full disclosure, last time I bought a planner and used it regularly was January through March of 2020, and so I apologize in advance if I jinx us, but I am using my Panda planner. And I have lots of different colored pens and pencils and fun stuff. And I have goals, personal, professional, family, work, all that fun stuff. And I am so excited to tell you guys one of these goals. But to be continued, we'll save that for a later podcast. I think the only other things are, uh, I wanted to mention the board games I got for the holidays because this is a board game podcast. What? I bought myself Belfort and its expansions from the Big Cool Stuff sale of the warehouse clearance of the TMG games. That was a lot of of the things. Uh, So I bought Belfort with its expansions. Haley got me Food Chain Magnate, which I've been wanting for a long time. So we're probably going to be very mad at each other when we play it, but we'll do that sometime hopefully soon. And she also picked me up Nicaea from Hollenspiel. That was from Santa? That was from Santa, apparently. But I'm very excited about that game. The minute I found out about it, I was like, I'm in, I'm hooked. Because it was stuff I studied in college, and it's a time frame and an art style that I absolutely adore. So I'm really excited for that. My only negative is it takes four-player minimum, which is a lot. So I have to find somebody to sit down and deal with it. 
for however long the game is, but I'm very excited for that. We got all that stuff. I do want to say, since the last episode, happy 30th birthday, Allison. It was her 30th birthday at the end of uh, December. And she is 30 flirty and thriving. It was her golden birthday, 30th on the 30th. Yes, which is very exciting. Hopefully we'll be able to celebrate sometime soon. Speaking of Allison, I want to give a quick shout out to all of our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much, Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Cliff, and Jennifer. Thank you all for supporting us at a level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. If you would like to be like them or just check out our Patreon in general, head to patreon.com slash malthouse games. With that being said, let's talk about one of the games we played during the holidays. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for this episode is Nice Buns from Big Potato Games. Nice Buns is designed by Elizabeth Bose and Anya Dreyer-Bruckner, and the artist is Bex Barnett, and again published by Big Potato. Nice Buns is a super simple family I-split-you-choose game. Essentially, you are trying to collect a set of three same colored buns, and by buns, I mean like uh, bao, the the Chinese steamed buns. We talk about steamed buns a lot, or bao or baozi. Uh, they're delicious. I love red bean ones. You can get barbecue pork ones, all kinds of different steamed buns. So this game, you're collecting steamed buns. Or soup buns. Or you can get the, yeah, the xiaolong bao with the uh, soup buns, which are very hard to make. Anyway, Nice Buns is a game about collecting those. So the way the game works is you are going to roll three dice. There's a small, medium, and large. You will split those dice into two piles. You could put all three in one, nothing in the other, two in one, one in the other, one in one, two in the other. You know, you get the idea. And you can split it. You could have uh, the most common is two dice in a pile and one dice in a pile because three and zero rarely makes sense depending on the situation. We've only had that happen one time, I think. So. The way you split them, the small dice is how many bow you draw from the bag. The middle dice is if you want to take a die or a bow from the middle plate on the table. There's always some out in the middle. And the big die is essentially stealing one, trading one, giving one away, something like that. You split those into two piles. Then the next player in turn order, so to your left, is going to pick which one of those two piles they want. After they pick one, then you resolve the dice from smallest to biggest. And then that's your turn. And then it goes to the next player. And basically, you're trying to get three buns of the same color on your own plate. So let's say if you have two blue buns, you draw from the bag, you draw another blue bun, boom, you lock in three buns, you put them on your plate, those are locked in. Once you get three sets of three different colors, so three blue, three red, three yellow, or three blue, three green, three red, then you win the game. So it's very simple. You're just trying to collect these things, but you have to roll these dice, split them up, and let your opponent choose. The only big wrinkle that gets thrown in is there are, in the book, they're called stinky fish head buns. They are gray in color, and those fish head buns will attach themselves to a group. So if you have two blue and you draw a fish head bun, it now hooks into that group to make a group of three blue that you can't lock in on your plate. If you happen to draw another blue, it then will give you four blue buns, which means they will all get thrown back into the bag. So you'll lose them. And that's really the entirety of the game. It's very simple. It's very easy to play. It's very quick to play, but it's also very fun. I think what I like so much about this is it's an I split you choose. It's, there's always something fun about me giving you the options to choose from, 
you picking one and me getting to also keep one. So you have to think, what does my opponent want? What's best for them? What's best for me? How can I force their decision here to then let me have the best benefit? And I really like it too, because, you know, as you're going around the table, let's say you have a full six players going around, then you're involved in at least a third of the interactions. So you're not like, oh, I went, I have to wait five turns for me to go again. Like you, you basically get to go twice. Your turns look different because at one point you're choosing and the next round you're splitting and the other person chooses. But I think it, it keeps everybody engaged and involved as well. Plus, you know, some of the dice rolls allow you to uh, seal a bun from somebody's plate or allow you to trade buns. And so I really like it because there is player interaction throughout. And so I, I think that the ice split you choose really keeps you engaged and the dice rolls really keep the non-players or the non-active players engaged uh, throughout the round as well. I think so. It's one where you're always trying to be aware of what everyone has. And like you said, you get to pick on one of your turns, basically, and you get to split on one. And there is something that's uh, rewarding about being involved more than just when it's quote-unquote your turn. But it's just one of these games that we played this at BGGCon and we talked about it. And I bought it for Haley for your birthday? My birthday. Bought it for Haley for her birthday. And it's one of those games where uh, we took it to Brian and Jessica's and played on a game day. They bought it for, I think, Jessica's sister to play with her nephew. Something like that. They bought it for a family member. I can't remember exactly. And then we took it to uh, Riley, their house, Riley and Lakin's house, and played it with them. We've taken it to Zach and Sarah's and played it. And it's one of those things where for the podcast, something we have to consider is what gets listens. And this is a more you know in-depth dive into podcasts, right? New games and more complicated games tend to have higher listen ratings from people that aren't regulars, right? So if we wanted to pull in, and this is just you know not something we actually pay too much attention to, but if I wanted to say, I want to get the most views I can get right now, it's basically what's the hot game that hasn't come out or is has just come out. Like if I bought uh, Alexander Fister's Boone Lake, I really want to play Boone Lake. If I bought it and played it and put an episode out, that episode would get listeners that aren't regular listeners because they're trying to find more content out about this game to see if it's any good, right? So that's something to always consider. And so games like Nice Bun sometimes fly under the radar for podcast feature because it's a whole episode on such a simple little family game but this one I felt like we couldn't ignore because everyone we've played it with, played it at BGG Con, Alan said he wanted to pick it up. He thinks his wife would like it, and it, it's one that would hit the table. You know, we took it to Zach and Sarah's. They both thought it was very fun. Brian picked it up as a gift for somebody. Riley wants to pick it up to have for the kid. Like, it's hit. Everyone's loved it. It's so simple. It's easy for kids. It's easy for adults, but there's enough strategy to keep you interested. It's just a game that has ticked all the boxes across the board for everyone, and it's like you can't ignore that kind of. Uh, power in a small game. Plus, it's cute. It's extremely cute, especially <laughs> the bun that has the chubby cheek look with a smile. He's my favorite. But that all of them look like they have hair like a skateboard kid that's like eight years old. You know what I mean? It's that like look. And they're just all plump little darlings and it's adorable. And and the pieces are as well. And I, I love the side of the box. It says, please do not microwave, steam, or bake any of these buns. Yes, which is great. It's funny. It's a really, really cute game, and it's just, it's fun, it's simple, and like I said, it's just hit. No matter who we play with it, they go, that was really fun. You know, we should pick this up. This would be great to take to blah, blah, blah. And it's, everybody has thought that. And I love big potato games, you know, one, because they're adorable, 
Two, because you usually get stickers. Mm-hmm. But three, they, they, they tend to hit. They tend to have those games which really balance between player interaction and simplicity and enough complexity to keep you engaged. And they're always, like I said, cute as a bug. With this one, this one is probably my one of my favorite n- new games of 2021 that I've played. I mean, definitely. But it's one that, you know, you it hits the table. It holds up to six people, first of all, which is a lot. And the rules are extremely simple. You explain it in a matter of minutes. Everybody gets it after a round for sure. And then it only stays, I don't know, with four people playing slow and chatting with me, you, Zach, and Sarah, the longest it took was 30 minutes, but that's because we paused to talk for 10 minutes in the middle of the game. And eat snacks. It's probably like a 20-minute, 15 to 20-minute game. At six people, maybe 30, but it's not very long. It's just, it, it's, it's, I don't know. There's something about it. They've just hit the nail on the head with this one as a family strategy game. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top-shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So as Delton said, this is definitely a good family strategy game. And when we went to my sister's house, Riley's house, so my niece, Lakin, she is five years old. Uh, She just turned five on Monday. I love her so much. She's growing up so fast. But she just turned five on Monday. And, you know, because she's a kid and she's the only kid in a sea of adults, she wants to be included. And, of course, all kids want to be included. All kids want to be engaged. And so whenever we bring games over, we want to bring games that, you know, maybe Lakin can be involved with in some way. And this game, this game is scaled for ages 10 and up, technically. But what we wanted to talk about today is taking games and uh, scaling them back for kids. So even if they are, you know, made for ages 10 and up or 12 and up, you know, what are some games that, you know, you can play that, you know, maybe have more complexity or, you know, maybe would be more likely to keep adults engaged? And how can you take those, still play the game, but scale some parts back so that way your younger members of the family can still feel like they're included? And it's kind of a tough thing to do depending on the game, but there are certain games, and you. And I feel like we've talked about this before the episode, I feel like something you have to do is look for games that have uh, a pretty minor player interaction. There can be some, of course, and we're going to bring those up in examples, including Nice Buns, but there are, it needs to be games that have limited interaction. So in terms of nice buns, playing that with Lakin, it was very funny because she was taking the buns based on color, which is what you're supposed to do, but she was making hamburgers. She was like, I want another lettuce for my hamburger. And she'd take a green and put it on her little hamburger. So it was like yellow for the bun. And then it was two reds for the meat. And they had like three greens for lettuce. She was making little hamburgers. But what's funny is Lakin won the game. Yeah, and we didn't, like help her like we told her when it was her turn and what she needed to do like okay you need to choose one or you need to split the dice but we didn't help her we didn't help her in her decision making at all and this little five-year-old won the frigging game now we didn't target her with giving away stinky buns but i don't you know that's that's the only thing we didn't do because somebody else we thought was in the lead so we kind of tried to you know prevent the king of the hill kind of thing right prevent the one person from winning but yeah lakin would do that you tell her okay roll these now put two of them together which ones you want to put together. And she would pick it. And then I would take my stuff and then we would do everything. And then when she got to pick, you know, Michael would present her with her options and she would pick what she wanted. We helped her through the motion and we, we kept track of, okay, these member, these three greens are locked in member. These three are locked. Like we had to keep track of that since she was making hamburgers out of them, but she won the stinking game. Like 
sure she didn't quite comprehend what the dice were to do and how you split them. Like that's a little advanced for a five-year-old, of course, which is why the game says 10. But just presenting her the idea, put two of these together. Which ones do you want to put together? Which ones do you want to take? That kind of stuff. It was so simple for her to participate and then win the stinking game. Uh, I mean, it just worked out so well. It really did. And the thing is that, you know, with games, and what we're going to talk about in this episode is, you know, is balancing the game fidelity, so like following the rules, and, you know, in, engaging a younger child. And in this case, Lakin, like Delton said, she didn't understand the rules. Like, we told her what to do. She didn't understand, really, the, the concept of why she's doing it. Yeah. But the whole time, she was engaged. She didn't have to understand, this is what you're doing, this is why you're doing it. She was just engaged the whole time. And so I think whenever you are, you know, bringing games to the table and you do have little ones that you're scaling, you kind of have to think about that. Like, how much... How much do I want to maintain the game fidelity? And, you know, how do I include them with that? Because the thing is with us adults, like we all played by the rules. Like we, I didn't, I didn't help Michael. I didn't help Riley. We all just played by the rules and I gave them stinky buns. But, you know, so we, I feel like we were able to still play the game by the rules, but Lakin was still included in that. 100%. And it's, it's something I like the way you put it, where you have to make, maintaining the fidelity of the game versus the inclusivity of the child, right? And there are games like this that we can do all of our stuff by the rules, but still include them with the way that it plays. And I know the next example we're going to have was Sagrada, because Lakin loves the dice of Sagrada, because who doesn't? They're tiny, colorful dice, and there's a bajillion of them. But we were playing Sagrada with Lakin as well. We gave her her little window card, and basically it was Lakin's turn to take a die. She would pick a die from the middle. She would put it somewhere in her window, and we would move on. And given, you know, she didn't understand the the rules of put it on a color, you can't do next to each other, but we also didn't enforce that with her. She's just having fun at the table with us while we are all still trying to observe those rules, which, by the way, I caught that uh, it was being messed up again, oh, where no. dice weren't being put adjacent. You know how, like, oh, a dice has yeah. to be. That's something that we always forget to, like, make sure to mention. And so I noticed that... Um, Riley and Michael both were doing that, and I was like, okay, whatever, it's whatever. fine. <laughs> so you have to balance the fidelity with adults sometimes, too. A little bit. That's that's just a rules explanation mishap on my part. But, I mean, Lakin still felt included. I mean, given halfway through that game, she said, I'm going to go play in there. <laughs> just <laughs> noped out from the table. Uh, but she always plays Sagrada with us because it's it's easy to include her. And she's also a wild card, too, because, you know, I can sometimes look at Delton's board and be like, okay, he needs threes and he needs purples. Okay. So I, I kind of know what he's going for, but with Lakin, she might be making a rainbow, she might be making a hamburger, she might be making a completely blue board. You have no idea what this kid's going for. Yeah. So she's a freaking wild card, and you have no idea what she's going to take. So it makes it a little harder to plan, I think. It really does. It's it, okay. It is just a wild card, which Sagrada feels like that anyway, right? You could think you know what someone wants, but not realize if they've laid their board out and like if they've placed dice in a certain way, their whole board's technically accessible. So they can just start grabbing random stuff. So. Uh, but it is. It's, she's kind of wild card. But it's also that, like you said, that's a limited interaction space where that's her only interaction with the rest of the table is taking one or two die from the center and putting those dice on her board. And so the the hard part there becomes what games are simple that you know shouldn't. And one of your examples was Ticket to Ride. Yes, because Ticket to Ride, if you think about that, like you're all sharing a board space. I think, you know, scaling games for kids, I think... Uh, especially if you're working with like a five-year-old at a 10-level game, you're probably going to want to choose more like uh, solitaire games, like multi-person solitaire games, or ones where we all have our own board, because we'll take it to ride. 
you know, I, I can't imagine explaining the lichen that, you know, you, you have to lay down the proper colored, like, first of all, having the planning to collect all the trains and then placing the trains on like counting to 10 or counting to four or counting to three. Not that you can't count that high, but making the connection between laying down three blue trains to place three blue trains uh, on the blue track and not, well, first of all, too, having not having the manual dexterity to not knock over everybody else's trains. Like there's some games that probably wouldn't be a good idea to scale. And I think Ticket to Ride would be one of those. But like you can get like Ticket to Ride Junior, which I think goes to age six. Yeah, my first ticket to ride. My first ticket to ride. And so there are games that are already scaled, like Ticket to Ride Junior. I think about My Little Scythe, too. There's also My First Carcassonne. My First Carcassonne. So there are games that are scaled for little ones, but whenever you are scaling one of your own games for little ones, you got to be mindful, too, of you know what what can they do with their hands? How far can they plan? Because five-year-olds are not going to be able to plan between turn to turn to turn. And then you know how engaged will they be as well? Because also, Lake is probably not going to want to have a whole thing of cards. She's going to want to play with the plastic trains. That's very true. And something you have to think about, and this is this is from my standpoint of the the board game collector. Uh, <laughs> do they know how to not bend and, and warp <laughs> and tear? I mean, I mean, really though, yeah, when you know, it's a, it's a kid who's five years old. Given Lakin's a very good kid, and she's been really great about that with all of my games. Uh, but it's something you have to consider: is are they going to get bored when waiting for their turn? Is there something to keep them occupied, like the tiny trains would? But like in terms of a hand of cards, you know. Are those sleeved or not? Are you willing to have to potentially find new cards? Like, you know, you have to think about that kind of stuff with kids, you know. Does ha- board game time correspond with snack time? Exactly. You want to make sure that, you know, at five, six years old, that they don't have a problem putting stuff in their mouth because that could be a choking hazard for a lot of board games. Like, legitimately, that's a concern for just small children. So there's things to keep in mind. But I do think the key here is that, like you said, the multiplayer solitaire, your own board where li- li- interaction is limited with others. That's going to be the key to scaling some game that you can all play down a little bit. Like we always liked playing because uh, she had she was a fan of it. I don't think we've done it in a minute, but junk art. Yeah. Because if you just ignore the cities in junk art that where you all build one thing, you're all building separately. You can just hand her a piece and let her build a tower, and we can do whatever we want, and she still feels included and involved. And then we can be like, oh, look how high you got it, and then she gets that you know that reward and all that. Absolutely. And I think about a lot of dexterity games, too. So like junk mm-hmm. art, but then like, you know, d- depending and again, you know, balancing the fidelity of the game versus the inclusivity and also thinking about your motive for playing. Like, are you playing to complete the game? Or are you playing to just have a ridiculous time? Because I could see playing things like a Rampage with like an otherwise known as Terran Meeple City. For sure. Now, you know, you have to be mindful that they might not have the dexterity. They might make things fall, but that could also be fun, too. Like I to, mean, you are dinosaurs in a city tearing stuff up, eating people. Yes, or or like building something like Tokyo Highway. You know, if oh goodness, like that could be just a fun time. Like if you're playing it, just like us adults playing, and then like Lakin's almost like a little Godzilla in in Tokyo Highway, where we build our stuff, and then it's Lakin's turn. Like, oh shit, what's she gonna knock down of ours? Like you can also play it like that way, like kind of work her into the game. You know, not tell her that she's the Godzilla, but yeah. I mean, that could be be fun as well, just throwing in a little, again, wild card to the experience. I was thinking immediately that we also, Haley got me the fuzzies for Christmas. Oh, yeah. The little dexterity game. Shut Up and Sit Down did a video on it, and it made me intrigued because I was like, this is an interesting take on a very, like, Jenga-esque style of game. And we've played it several times now, like, with family, and Lakin was surprisingly good at using those little tweezers 
and picking out the pieces. Uh, she really that. was. So I was impressed. I think that games like that, especially something like Fuzzies, would be great for kids because it's cute looking. It's simple. You don't have to play with the negatives for the children if you don't want to. And it also, I mean, something like that, it helps develop those dexterity skills. I mean, that's something that, you know, as kids grow up, of course, I, I guess anybody with kids or has been around them know, you have to work on those skills. Those don't just come immediately and then are suddenly good. You've got to develop them and work on them. And I'm still developing mine. You really are your hand-eye coordination. <laughs> we got to work on your hand-eye coordination. We're going to the batting cages. Okay. Uh, I do want to do that sometime. I think it'd be fun. Anyway. That's something to think about, though, is the dexterity games do. They help develop that hand-eye coordination, that uh, depth perception a little bit, just in general, all that dexterity skills that kids need to develop. So that's another kind of pro there. And plus, the fuzzies is great because if the kid has Cheeto dust all over their fingers, they're having to use tweezers, and so everybody wins. Yeah, just don't tell them you can use your fingers. Just you have to use tweezers. You have to use tweezers. We did for Lakin, and she was a pro. I was impressed. She really was. I found it my fingers to be easier in most cases, but some of them, the tweezers were nice. But yeah, I think those are some good things to keep in mind. Uh, I, I think another one that could be good, I've just spotted on the shelf. I think Azul wouldn't be bad. Oh, absolutely. It would be a drafting wild card. However, they would have their own board to kind of mess around with. And, you know, if you just said, okay, whatever, don't worry about their points, that could work out. It would make for a wonky game, but I think that could also probably work. But that's it. Just multiplayer solitaire. Don't care too much about the rules for the little one and just enjoy having a wild card at the table. Yeah. And just one more point before we wrap up. Like, I, I think about uh, Lakin playing Sagrada because the first time we brought out Sagrada to the table with Lakin, Lakin was under two years old. She was little. She was little. And, like, at that time, you know, we would hand her dice from the bag. Like, we wouldn't ha put her in the drafting, but we would, like, hand her dice from the bag and it was her turn. And she would just, like, put them on the, the spaces. And, you know, as she's gotten older, you know, we've given her more responsibility. Now she does draft and we can tell her, okay, you can draft one this time. Or whenever we're doing snake order, okay, like you can draft two this time. And she, you know, she can draft and not just like grab a handful like a two-year-old would. And so, yeah. you know, as the kids get older too, you know, you can, you know, give them more responsibility. You can, you know, teach them more of the rules. And so you can also scale up as well to the point whenever they are a 10-year-old and they can fully play. But I, I really like involving kids in it because one, you know, like Delton said, it helps with the dexterity. It also helps with being able to stay focused and pay attention and follow directions and follow rules. But no, too. It also gets them interested in the hobby. Like, I would, I would hate to be a little kid and like see all the adults playing, and like I want to play so so much, and then being excluded. So I, I really enjoy getting her interested in it. It's really fun for her. It's fun for us, and hopefully, it's making good memories for her too. And something else to keep in mind. I mean, we're a board game podcast. If you're listening to this podcast right now, yes, you uh, likely you're a board game person, right? You know, it's not likely that we'll be getting uh, non regular listeners from like Target looking for a review for a game or something, right? It's most likely we're getting our regulars or people that look are looking for a specific game in general. However, something to keep in mind here is also when you're when you're, you know, teaching your kids and they're playing games with you from a young age like that, they're developing an understanding and uh developing their own uh, uh essentially game knowledge. It's something me and Haley have talked about and me and Brian have talked about. You know, when you grow up playing video games, and you become older and you're like, oh, I want to try this video game out. Your first instinct is, you know, what what's going to happen? Okay, I bet this button's probably to jump. This button, these are going to move you around. This button's going to do, if it's a driving game, right, you know, the right trigger looking button is going to be forward gas. Left trigger is probably going to be brake and reverse. Uh, you start developing this gaming knowledge and board games are the same way. Uh, something I've always find interesting is like today's going to have a game day with people who just aren't regular board gamers. 
And it's one of those things where you'll lay the board game out and Brian and Jessica and like myself and Haley, we've played enough board games now. We immediately go, okay, that means that. This probably means this. This means this. And it's a knowledge that you develop your own definition book that uh, forms as you play games, you gain the knowledge of, okay, these are the regular tropes. These are the, are the usual things you encounter. And your children will also encounter that. They will learn that language of gaming, which means they're more likely to be open to gaming the older they get, the more that they learn as a kid, I would, I would think. You're indoctrinating them. Yes, you're indoctrinating <laughs> them into, into gaming. But that way, you know, because I know a lot of people, a lot of our friends have said, I used to play games with my kids. They don't play anymore. And that's just as the kids get older, they make that decision. But I, I could imagine it being very fun as Lakin gets older. She starts to become, hey, I want to play with you guys. And she'll learn that gaming language and then make the decision later. I don't want to keep doing this or I do whatever. But it's just something interesting to me thinking that as she gets older, we'll be like, you remember when we used to play this game? She's like, yeah, we used to do this. Okay, this is the same. And she'll have that memory and knowledge to carry forward to keep learning and, you know, potentially playing more games. So I think that's something to speak on. I don't know if I did it eloquently enough. I feel like I'm all over the place. So we work for Big Asthma Day, and we are indoctrinating <laughs> your kids at a young age. Dude, uh, listen, I not that I want a sponsor, but if Big Asthma Day wanted to throw bucks my <laughs> way for me to uh, tag them in, in an episode, uh, yes, please, I will. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. That's and, funny. You know, and like Delton said, we were playing with folks today, and not that you can't ever develop that board gaming knowledge oh, and board can. gaming understanding, but... You know, it is possible to start to introduce start to introduce these things to kids at at a young age. It's kind of I think the at the end of the day, you just got to kind of scale back a little bit. For sure, scale back, make everything at their level, introduce them, and if they're having fun, you know, you're doing something right. If they're not having fun, you still may be doing something right. You never know with kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, let's move to the question of the episode. And now, join us. So the question of today's episode is, what is a very complex game and theme that you would take and scale it back for kids? If you could, if you could like take a complex game and scale it back for kids, how would you retheme it? So I'm thinking like my little scythe, you know, inside you're taking over different places, you are making alliances. And then my little side, that's all about building friendship and like getting pie. So Delton, what is a game that you would take with a complex theme and like boil it down, change the theme for kids? So I was looking at the shelves while you were talking, just trying to think of what would my answer be. And I saw one immediately and it got an instant thought in my head. I would take Kanban, the Vital Lacerda game about a car factory where you're working to build cars and test cars and all that stuff boil that super far down and make it about making cookies in a bakery where this is the uh, frosting department and this is the you know the mixing department and this is the baking department and this is the taste testing department i would do that because that is an adorable theme and you could actually do that with kanban's uh structure pretty well and if you i don't know how you would dumb that down because kanban's pretty advanced but uh i think, I think it down. scale it Age-appropriate it down. Age-appropriate <laughs> it down, yes. Uh, but yes, I would do Kanban. What about you, Haley? I think I would take Wingspan. Okay. But maybe kind of keep it the same theme, but it's bird watching and you put food out in order to uh, get birds to come land on your porch. So like robins will eat 
you know, this grain. So you throw out, so you have to collect that grain to get the robins so that way you can see the robins. Or cardinals get sunflower seeds and jenny wrens get this little seed. And so kind of keeping with the same theme, but, you know, make it all about bird watching and you just put different food out to get the birds to come. I think that's a good idea because I always think of wingspan. I'm like, oh, I know so many people I want to show wingspan to. But then I think about me teaching wingspan. And for some reason, the wingspan is not a difficult game. I can't teach it to save my life. I think it's one of the most complicated teaches in all my games I own. I can sit down and teach most of my games easily. Wingspan I struggle with because it's something about the way the game functions. It's To me, it's extremely hard to teach. So I would take an easier scaled back version for kids where you're putting grain out on your porch to get your birds because that's adorable and I think could work very well. Elizabeth Hargrave, give me a call. It could be my little wingspan. My little wingspan. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be pretty good. Well, I guess that 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 basically wraps up the episode here. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast, episode number 109. Be sure to head out to social media and follow us at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games, especially on Twitter where we are the most active. Uh, Yeah, that's going to be the most active, but we are also on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on YouTube where we don't really do videos because they're exhausting and time-consuming. However, we do post uh, just audio-only versions of the podcast. For some people, that is an easier space to listen. You can find our podcast anywhere. Make sure to go to Spotify and give us a five-star rating because I found out Spotify now does podcast ratings. Oh, that's what's up. That will help us out a lot. Make sure to like and subscribe and share anywhere that you get us. Uh, If you have any games you think we need to cover, a topic you want us to discuss, or a question you want us to answer on the show, or even if there's a beer or coffee or anything else that you think we need to try on the podcast, make sure to send that to us, contact at malthousegames.com along with any other questions, concerns, comments, things like that. You can always find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. I think that that does it. We're going to get out of here, walk the dog, make some food, and go have a game day at Brian's house. I'm going to try to take pictures of the games, pictures of the beer, and hopefully post those for your entertainment. And pictures of his lovely wife. We'll see about that. Depends on if you're holding games and beer. (laughs) I can do that. I'll I'll be me all day. That will be you all day, literally. That wraps everything up then. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.